0: Our scripture reading from today comes from Genesis 9:18 through 28. The sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was peopled. Noah, a man of the soil, was the first to plant a vineyard. He drank some of the wine and became drunk. And he lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. Lowest of slaves shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed by the Lord my God, be Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. May God make space for Japheth, and let him live in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his slave. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Would you please pray with me? Good and gracious God, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your presence that dwells among us, uh, whose spirit guides us in all places. And we ask that that spirit would inspire us now and help us to hear your word for us amen so at urban grace we follow something called the actually the revised common lectionary i refer referred to the lectionary that's the formal name of it and it's a schedule of scriptures used by churches around the world to sort of give rhythm to our church here and it, it looks something like this um, that's just sort of like what the lectionary looks like when I go look at it every week. And if you look at the left side, you'll see that there are sort of three years, year A, B, and C. And then there are also seasons within those years. And then back on the right side, there are uh, each Sunday has four scriptures to read. and we, Sometimes we pick one or two of those, and they all sort of fit together on a theme. And, and so by following the lectionary, we're able to cover almost the whole Bible in a three-year cycle. Almost. But of course there are stories that get skipped for one reason or another. There are people who never get introduced. So this summer we're going to spend some time looking at the stories of the folks whose, whose stories are skipped. We'll spend some time looking at where we'll spend the season of ordinary time looking at the stories of people who like, may have been just a little bit too ordinary to make it into the lectionary. And and this week, we're going to go more or less chronologically. So we'll spend a little bit of time in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament before moving on to the New Testament. And today, we start with the sons of Noah, which is the story of... How the most righteous person in the world got drunk, got naked, and cursed a whole race of people. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty troubling story. And to make any sense of it, we need some backstory. And this sort of begins in right about chapter 6 of Genesis, where the wickedness of the world is overwhelming. Overwhelming. God's plan to to walk alongside humanity seems to be failing miserably. So God finds the one righteous person on the earth and tells him, I'm going to send a flood to destroy everyone except for you and your family. And this sounds horrible because, like, it is. (laughs) It is. Why would God want to destroy creation? Well, as as we read on a little bit further in the Hebrew Bible, we start to see a theme or something of a script that goes like this. God comes to a specific individual and, and tells them, I want to bless the world through you and your family. And this happens to people like Abraham and Moses and Noah. And one of the things that these folks do is they talk directly to God about the fate of humanity. So, when God gets upset, God tells them about plans to destroy groups of people. This happens to Abraham when God tells him of the plan to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But, but Abraham pleads with God and makes a deal to give these cities another chance. That This happens again with Moses. When Moses is on Mount Sinai, and God tells him of a plan to destroy the Hebrew people. But, but Moses pleads with God. And it actually says, I think it's Genesis 33, that God's mind is changed. God turns and does not kill the people. And this also happens with Noah, where God tells him the plan to destroy creation. But Noah says nothing. So, God kills everyone aside from Noah and his family. Then, after the flood subsides, Noah settles down and plants a vineyard and makes his first batch of wine... And promptly gets stupid drunk. Yeah, he gets drunk enough that he takes off his pants and passes out. Yeah, I hear the giggles. This does not sound exactly like the behavior of the most righteous man in the world. But it might sound like the behavior of someone who's racked with survivor's guilt. A person who watched all his friends die while he survived. A person who now gardens alone, wondering if he could have done something to save his friends. A man who wants to forget his past and finds a drug to help him escape the shame that he feels. But when Noah awakes after his drunken stupor, he finds that his shame has only, I don't know, gotten worse, it's multiplied. He feels like all at once, the shame of of not trying to save his friends, the shame of passing out naked, and the shame of being found out. Because someone has come into the tent and covered him with a blanket to to hide his shame. While Noah was passed out, his youngest son, Ham, uh, goes to his brothers who cover Noah. And and Noah somehow pieces this together, and and he is enraged. He goes to his youngest son, Ham, who, who discovered him, and says, I now put a curse on Canaan. He will be the lowest slave of his brothers. Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan, his own grandson, and says that all his descendants shall be slaves. And this feels wildly unjust. All Ham did was find his passed out father, why would Noah respond this way? And that's that's actually a question that people have been trying to figure out for centuries. The the early Jewish suggestion was that, that Ham actually mocked Noah. That's this uh, I think this is like a Renaissance artist with you see Ham on the right pointing and laughing. There is also a theory that That Ham sexually assaulted Noah. But but there's little evidence in the text to support either of these theories. They're simply decent explanations that that allow Noah to remain faultless. But, But rather than going with sort of an unfounded theory to absolve a guy with a splitting hangover, I lean towards the idea that Noah was filled with shame. He tried to escape his shame by drinking it away, but that only led to his shame being exposed. Noah is terrified that that anyone else knows his deepest secrets. So, So he scapegoats the person who discovered those secrets. Noah casts all his shame onto an innocent person and blames his son for how Noah feels about himself. And, and while this is tragic, it doesn't feel unfamiliar. Like, I'm not like, that sure that we act differently than Noah. Like, I'm just going to throw this out here. This is totally hypothetical. Say you were to take your son or daughter to the grocery store. And while you were there, you, you met your boss. And and your kid delivered one of those unforgettable lines like, "Gee, Daddy, Mr. Johnson doesn't look nearly as ugly as you said," or or whatever that mortifying comment that like every kid has one in them. Well, if that happens, like, what's our response? It's probably to yell at our kid and blame them for uncovering our bad behavior. Or, or just try this one on. What if we put ourselves in no shoes? Say we were to drink heavily and stumble into our bedroom. If we do that and a friend comes to check on us, finds us half naked, passed out, lying on our bed, do we, do we thank our friend for checking on us when, when we put ourselves in an unsafe situation? Or... Do we get angry that they came into our room and saw us in our lowest, worst moment? I think that when we're filled with shame, we often can't handle holding all that shame ourselves. So we look for someone to, to offload it on. We look for someone to scapegoat so this terrible situation is not all our fault. And those are all hypothetical situations. And they're they're pretty much just like embarrassing. But this this plays out on a much grander scale with with far more tragic consequences. When humans commit like horrendous acts, we, we often look for ways to blame the victims. To justify our own evil doing, and that's the really that's the really tragic legacy of today's text. That this story we read, uh, the second half uh, of Genesis nine, gets retold, and not only retold but readjusted, to not only scapegoat victims, but to bring God in in on our racism. And and this maybe started when the Israelites reflected on a period of history known as the Conquest. The the book of Joshua tells the story of the Israelites taking the Promised Land by slaughtering and displacing and enslaving the Canaanite people. And, And the treatment of the Canaanites is in stark contrast to, like, to the ethical core of God's law that demands respect and love for the foreigner. I mean, it's, it's often referred to as a story of genocide. Like, how do people carry that shame? Well, one way is by telling an origin story that scapegoats the Canaanites and provides, like, divine justification for what they've done. A, a story that absolves them of their shame, right? So they don't have to feel bad about the slaughter of innocent people because they had it coming. God cursed the Canaanites after all. But really, as, as I, I did actually a lot of research this, this week, and according to every Hebrew scholar I read they came to the conclusion that that this story is likely in the Hebrew Bible only to justify what was done to the Canaanites. And that sounds a little bit bold to suggest that a story is in the Bible to justify prejudice, or even that that people of faith would manipulate the Bible to, to justify oppression. But this is the legacy of the story of the sons of Noah. People of faith have continued to change the details of this story to justify slavery. So around the 9th century, Islamic texts like, uh, I'll see if I can say it correctly, al Israyat claimed that Noah's curse gave Ham's descendants black skin, and destined them to be slaves. Now, this text is something called Hadith, which is um, not nearly as authoritative as the Quran. And this teaching runs directly against what the Quran says about Noah, and it disagrees with uh, the Prophet Muhammad's last sermon on racial equality. But, at the time, a story needed to be told to justify... African slaves in southern Iraq. And then in the 12th century, the story changed when Christian theologians in Europe wrote that serfs were descendants of Canaan, because there needed to be a reason why the serfs had no rights. Then in the 19th century, this story became the the primary justification for slavery among southern Christians. In in 1862, uh, abolitionist Alexander Crummel wrote that the opinion that the slavery of the Negro race is the consequence of the curse of Noah, that, that idea, is a general, almost universal opinion in the Christian world. It was the same interpretation, actually, around the same time that led Joseph Smith, who was the founder of the Latter Day Church of Latter-day Saints, the Mormon Church, to write in a, a work called the Book of Moses, that, that blackness came upon all the children of Canaan, and they were despised among all people. And this is largely the reason that African Americans couldn't be priests in the Mormon Church until 1978. But, but this is just a story we tell. There's a, a scholar at, at the University of Pennsylvania named David Goldberg who spent 13 years researching Ham and, and found that there's nothing in the text to imply that Ham had dark skin. It's a result of what they call folk etymology. And he studied 1,000 years of, of Jewish and Christian and Muslim interpretation and concluded that the belief that, that Ham's skin was dark was simply made up. For thousands of years, humans have retold and readjusted this story to to turn our victims into scapegoats so that we can sanctify our prejudice. And even today, we tell a version of this story, both just sort of like in our nation and I think in our lives. Like, we tell origin stories to distance ourselves from those we mistreat. If we can see somebody as categorically different than us, then then we have a reason for the way they're being treated. And and I'm sure we don't think of people as cursed by God, but we might sort of act that way. I mean, just for example, how, how else do we justify the massive gap between funding in our schools? Well, we do it by accepting that if someone was born in the wrong zip code, then they don't deserve the same education. In America, it's sort of your fault if you were born poor, or if your parents brought you here without the correct papers. Then it's okay to separate you from your family and deny you due legal process. And I know that we don't think of immigrant families as cursed by God. But we think of them as different than us. And we blame them when we deny them the rights we enjoy. And, and like, whose fault is all this? All the things that I'm describing. Like, do I accept my own indifference to the injustice I see every day? Or maybe... Do I scapegoat a particular group of voters and say that those people are ruining our country? Do I tell myself a story about someone else's ignorance and racism so I don't have to feel the shame that I own a house and the value of my house in Tacoma keeps going up as families in my neighborhood are getting pushed onto the street? We tell ourselves stories so we can find scapegoats who hold our shame. And this problem is not unique to Jews or Muslims or Christians or Mormons or rich or poor or conservative or liberal. This is human. But it's not divine. Because when we go back to the text, we see that When Noah curses his grandson, God does not participate. In the text from Genesis, the the curse of Canaan does not come from God. And God never condones the curse. It is from humans, inflicted on humans. God does not participate in our attempts to sanctify prejudice or racism. And then meanwhile, there's that one story. And then there are far more stories in Jewish and Christian and Muslim scriptures that, that resist our attempts to scapegoat groups of people. As, so as Christians, all we need to do actually is, well, we could look to Jesus, who heals a Canaanite woman because of her great faith. Or we could remember the stories of the early church, you know, the ones we spent all Easter season looking at, and how the church welcomed rejected groups of people. And, And Peter had that huge revelation that God loves people from every nation and every tribe. Because here we see that God loves everyone, even the Canaanites, Oh, and that's, that's another thing. The most ca- famous Canaanite in the Bible is a woman named Rahab. She's famous for two reasons. One is, is that uh, she helps the Israelite spies in, in Joshua chapter 2. And the second reason she's famous is because she's Jesus' grandmother. Matthew one lists the genealogy of Jesus, and and Rahab is right there if we find it. It's it's in there someplace. And and granted, it's uh, thirty generations before Jesus, but in in Matthew chapter one it lists forty two generations, and and in those forty two generations, only five women are listed. Thirty-seven women are forgotten, but a Canaanite woman is proudly included. And this reminds us that, well, Jesus was part Canaanite, and I think that Canaan was a lot like Jesus. Because if, if Christ is anywhere in this disturbing story of, of Noah and his sons, Jesus is probably with Canaan. I mean, Canaan's the most Christ-like figure in the story. He was an innocent child, but the sins of his fathers were too much for them to hold, so they made Canaan the scapegoat and the bearer of their shame. In our story, it was Canaan who was oppressed. It was he who was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Canaan was led like a lamb that's led to the slaughter when justice was perverted that sounds a lot like the story of the very one who saves us who reveals to us our brokenness and opens to us the door to a way of life that's true and real and whole if If Christ is going to show up in the midst of our shame and prejudice, it'll be in the face of the one we fear. For in this story and in our story, Christ is with the one who we find it easy to hate.
0: Amen.